Hey guys, welcome to the Helping Hands podcast. Today's episode is with a midwife. We speak about her experiences throughout her career, the good and the bad. And we also touch on the fact that she is now a mother, so how her point of view has changed. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Helping Hands podcast. My name is Andrew and we are joined today by Becca. Hello. Hello. Now, Becca has been, I was about to say a childbinder, but I'm sure that's not right. Nope. Um, a midwife uh, for eight years now, if I remember right. Yes, that's correct. Say remember right. I do have notepads here. I think I've got it just below the camera so no one can see it. I'm cheating. Um, I did say you're not a childbinder, but in a way, you are literally like the first part of the of the process with children so you help children come into the world and we help them grow up a little bit and then they move on to teachers and become become teachers or childminders or midwives themselves so what made you become a midwife so I always had a real passion for helping people um couldn't decide whether I wanted to be an adult nurse or a child nurse um fell upon midwifery and realized it was the best of both worlds really yeah so um i predominantly get to deal with the mums um, and get to know them, which I love, and then get the little short snap- snippet of them, the babies then. So, yeah, so it's the best of both worlds. And, it, yeah, it was something I sort of found was what I wanted to do. Uh, could you give, like, a brief explanation of exactly what is a midwife? For someone like me, because, honestly, I don't have to deal with midwives too much. <laughs> yeah. um, so what would be the process? Let's say I'm a pregnant 23-year-old. Yeah. Um, what would be the process of me meeting you? So a midwife, most people think when they think of midwives, they think babies, which actually isn't the case. Um, so midwife actually means with women. Um, and so we are there to provide um, health advice, um, to ensure a safe pregnancy for both mum and for baby. Um, so basically, if you came to see me as a pregnant 23-year-old, um, the first point of call would be for us to make sure that we're starting out healthy and to appropriately refer you to the relevant people. So if you've got medical complications, which with a society with IVF and things like that now, there's a lot more medical um, complications coming through. So we're having to deal with not just what would be called normal women um, with, you know, healthy, no complications. And we're now getting women that are able to have these beautiful babies um, with quite serious medical conditions. So, we have to make sure that as a midwife, we deal with normal. So we have to make sure that we they come in and we if they've got any complexities, we can refer them appropriately to the right consultant. We offer them screening so that we offer, um, can test for things such as Down's Edwards and Patel syndrome. Um, and we also test for sort of a range of things such as like urine infections and um, hepatitis B, syphilis, things like that. Um, and we also refer them for their screening scans so you know we have to make sure that we get full medical history from them a full sort of social history from them so that we can point them in the right places and make sure that their pregnancy runs as smoothly as possible yeah because you said um most people assume it's with with babies and that's literally what the first thing that was in my head is like is that it um so yeah I, i always find even though i know it makes me look um silly or lacking intelligence while I ask these kind of questions but I always end up learning something a bit more yeah about the job than I didn't know um but that sounds quite intensive did you have to go through quite an education path to get to that so I was in a rarity so 
things have changed a lot in training wise since I trained. Mm. Um, so I went straight from school. Um, so I did my uh, GCSEs, A levels, and went into university at the age of eighteen. Um, and when I trained back in the day, um, <laughs> which sounds like a long time ago, back in 2011. Don't say that because you're not 30 yet, are you? I know. And I'm 30, so if you're yeah. acting like you're old, then I have to admit I'm really old. Back in 2011. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, it was, we were, I was very lucky in that it was a bursary and um, we didn't have to pay for our course. So I was in the rarity and being a young person in going into the profession. So, and it was a really intense process to get into it. So you had to get the right grades. You had to go through interview processes. You had to go through maths and English exams. Because there's lots of skills in midwifery that people don't realise. They just think, oh, it's just delivering a baby. But it's not. It's about making sure that you're note-taking. You know, one of the biggest costs to the NHS is people um, suing for childbirth, um, death and mm. um, unfortunate things that go wrong um and so it's about making sure that we can document everything so should because uh, believe it or not we can get called up until the child is 25 to call so it's making sure that we can get called up 25 years later read what we've written and say yeah. actually I remember that case I may not remember it like it was yesterday but actually I've got all the things that I need to know what happened to that particular time so you've got to be also you've got math side of things you've got drugs with a lot of drugs, obviously. So we need to make sure that we can calculate them properly so that we can, um, you know, not overdose someone, simple things like that. So it was quite a hard process because of the free course. We didn't pay the nine grand or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, to so go many to. people listening right now are just like, oh, my yes. God. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it was. So there was like 60 places and you had like 200 people apply. Um, and most of them at that point were people that had had children who had done had that part of their life, gone away and come back and decided they wanted a career change mm. or you know, it was something they always wanted to do but couldn't quite have the time. Um, so, yeah, so out of 60, I think there was like 13 of us that were actually straight from school leavers. The rest were mums. And it was lovely because there was a real mixture in the class. Um, it was quite funny on when you'd go on like wall rounds and things like that on the when you was on placement because they would presume that they were your mentors and you'd be like no nope. yeah. actually I've been qualified the same time as you <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah so it was really lovely because you you know you d it wasn't none of us really had chips on our shoulder yeah <coughs> excuse me don't worry I'm gonna be <laughs> coughing lots as well <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so um, it was it was hard it's a fifty fifty placement so you have 50 percent time in university 50 percent placed in a hospital on on the wards and again back in my day um you just did what your mentors did whatever sh shifts they did you did um things have changed so <laughs> they government took away that free um course and they made people pay nine grand a year for it and of course that unfortunately cut out a lot of the mums that could have children and go back to school because yeah. they just couldn't afford that. Um, Are you starting to see more people of your age bracket when you started now? Yeah, yeah. So I would say that it's probably now 80% school leavers or, you know, young, early 20s um, and a lot less mums as such, um, which 
it's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. When I started, we had a problem with an ageing um, population of midwives. So a lot of them retired. Um, so they needed that. We needed that fresh young blood that wasn't just going to go come in for a few years and retire. Yeah. But what I have found, and this is nothing against, because obviously, uh, as I say, I was a young midwife at the time, and I'm also still of childbearing age, is that unfortunately, when you're younger, you go, you have get married, and you go and have children. So now we have a problem where we have a lot of people go on maternity leave at the same time, which, as you've probably seen in the news, there's a lot of problems with staffing anyway, yeah. and add on top of that, lots of people going on maternity leave doesn't help. So... Yeah, that's it's a different challenge in itself. Um, the girls also, bless them, have to, um, you know, in order to afford that nine thousand pounds, a lot of them have jobs which we didn't have at the time. You know, we were flexible enough to work whatever shifts our mentors did because we didn't have that burden of like, how am I going to pay for this this course? Um, whereas a lot of them now have to have Saturday jobs, and so their availability isn't as flexible as it was when we were training. So. There's different challenges now, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just about trying to, I'm hoping that the government see that if they need more midwives, which they really do, that they might actually realise that the thing to get people into it is to take away that course fee again, because, you know, you don't earn a lot as a midwife when you first qualify, so to have that amount of debt when you start, I can imagine it's difficult for a lot of people to sort of think about, it's not like being a a lawyer or things like that thinking you know you've got nine 18 21 grand's worth of debt or whatever it is but at the end of it you're going to earn a nice salary so <laughs> it's going to yeah. go pretty quickly it's not that case so it's like yeah. me going to university for acting like oof, that's, going to, <laughs> that's going to take me a while to get back um i'm i am interested in the idea so uh you mentioned uh you were one of the younger ones in yeah. your group um did you ever feel like you were at a disadvantage and again just being silly questions i no. don't know um where there was a sense of there's one side of the community that have already been through the birthing process and that's essentially yep. what you're helping other people with yep and there was a lot of discrimination there was a lot of you know i'd go on placement they'd look at you and i mean i've still got quite a baby face so mm. i still get it all the time even though i've been around and Do you get you know, mums go are you a mum as well yeah so and, and that's the thing you know um you, you get mums come in and go well have you got kids and you go mm. Well, at that point, I'd go, no, and, oh, you're very young. How old are you? Yeah. Um, well, actually, you know, and it's, the thing is, it doesn't matter how long you've done this course. If you look young, people are going to presume that you've not been around a long time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I always say there's midwives that have been around 40, 50 years, um, and they've not got kids. And they're amazing midwives. Or we, I'm, we've been lucky enough in both my trusts. I've got one male midwife in my old trust and one in this new one. Um, and they're amazing. They can't have children, obviously, biologically, they can't have children. But they make the most caring midwives. Um, and the women love them. Like, mm. people, it's the, I find the dads tend to be very cold because they think this is a man and he's dealing with intimate parts of my wife or girlfriend. Uh, but actually, the women love him because they're sympathetic. They haven't got, um, you know, they, they don't feel judged. They've just, and both of them are just the most amazing people. One of them has retired. He was a community midwife for a long time. He retired, loved the job, missed it so much. He came back on part-time. <laughs> so, you know, it's, and I think there's only about 50 male midwives in the whole of the UK. Um, so I was about to say, I don't think I've met one. Yeah. I mean, even in um, our industry of childminding, uh, mm. males are very, very little. In fact, um, even though I just worked in a children's soft play, 
on this yeah. on this company. I was literally the only male there. Yeah. And um, I was doing recruitment. Hundreds of CVs came in. There was only two male uh, males that actually put yeah. their CV in. And I think that's that's a societal problem. Mm. You know, people there are jobs such as nurses and midwives, and you know that are very female orientated. Um, and I think men are intimidated to even go for those jo- jobs yeah. because they're frightened of how people will perceive them. Oh, 100%. Um, so, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is please don't be frightened to come and apply because actually I found ma- in a heavily female society, obviously there's quite a lot of, um, I don't know how to say this. Um You can say rude words. It's fine. <laughs> um, so there's a quite a lot of bitchiness. Fair. Um, <laughs> because it's a female society. I went to an all-girls school. It was the same there. I've gone into an all-female sort of role. It just um, made you feel so innocent yeah. that you were worried about saying, can I say the B word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So it's, you know, to have some male influence sometimes calms mm. the whole situation down. Like the, the male midwife that I w- work alongside now the most chilled person I've ever met in my life and I just think he lets all this like drama go over him whereas the girls were all a bit like oh have you seen what that's happened and have you seen that and it's and that is your typical female society we like to have a good old gossip and unfortunately <laughs> you get a lot of that when you work in a female industry so you know I, th- I would like to think that we could get some more testosterone in, into the into the career, you don't hear that sentence a lot. I don't. No. <laughs> um, I mean, we have. Don't get me wrong. We have a lot of male doctors. Yeah. Um, but they're not the same because it's yeah. Midwives were our own breed. Mm. Um, a lot of us call ourselves mad wives because you do have to be pretty mad to do the career. Um, and we're quite feisty, and a lot to, a lot of doctors are intimidated by us. Um, <laughs> we have very opinionated. We like to. We know what we want, and we want them to do what we want them to do. Um, so you find that a lot of doctors, they come, they do the, or the medical students, they come, they do their rotation on knobs and gynae, mm. they meet us, and then they go off to A&E because they don't like us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just because as a midwife, you're an autonomous practitioner, which basically means you are your own person, your own practitioner, you do what you want, like, want to do. Okay. Um, it's on your head, be it sort of thing, which is why midwives get paid a slightly higher band than nurses um so it's about you know everything we do we have to make sure that it's on our pin as well so we all have a registration Mm. so i'm making sure that you know a lot of us know what we're doing it's the same thing day in and day out there may be a slightly different situation but the principles are the same we've come probably come across a lot of those situations more than the doctors who are on rotation have um, and so it's about, you know, sometimes when we're saying to the doctors, actually, we, we really need you to prescribe this lady this. And they look at you like you're stupid and you go, no, I need you to prescribe me this, please. And then they just realise just not to argue and just do it because <laughs> they realise that we know best in the end. But yeah, so it's it's difficult. But we do, uh, yeah, as I say, bring some more males into it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wanted to answer that question about being a mum versus not being a mum during yeah. the process. Because obviously you are a mum now. Yeah. Um, because I remember seeing some posts on Facebook, some toxic posts where it's like, the first question I'm asking my um, midwife is this. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, is this the same person that says to their lawyer, like, were you a criminal? And this <laughs> is it, yeah. It's a, and I, it, 
But it's like pregnancy in general. The minute mm. a woman is pregnant, people feel like they can ask them the ins and outs of their, basically their sex life. That you know, they <laughs> want to know when this child was conceived. It's if you get down to it, they, and then as soon as you've got a bump, it's like they touch your bump without asking. You know, yeah. it's it seems to be the same thing with maternity in general. People feel that the minute you say have anything to do with babies or or maternity, those boundaries go, and they can ask you anything. And um, I've dealt with a lot of different communities, um, and certain communities prefer women who have look, have their own children. Mm. They find, you know, if if you look after a certain people, if they ask you if you've got children, you say yes, even if you don't have children, because it makes your life a lot easier if you do. So a lot of the girls who haven't got kids, they know if they get asked if they got kids, just to say yes, because actually it makes your life a hell of a lot le- easier. How easy is it for someone to swap? So, like, say if for any reason mm-hmm. I decide I don't want that person as my midwife. Yeah. Um, regardless of the reason. Yeah. Um, and that happens, you know, there's, especially with community midwives, um, you know, there sometimes be, needs to be that air of trust and that air of, you know, um, being able to talk to your midwife about any fit, a- anything. Mm. Um, and sometimes, for whatever reason, personalities clash. And that's okay. And it's just about if you ever feel like you can't, get on with your midwife or there's something about it don't do a, a horrible post on facebook you know you're not going to yeah. get anywhere through that just contact the the manager of that particular you know if it's to do with your community midwife contact the community manager um if you happen to be on the ward and you're finding a midwife particularly difficult i mean i can't guarantee there's going to be another midwife to take you over because actually there isn't enough of us in general um but it's about airing those concerns while you're in the situation and not waiting and making a big thing about it afterwards when we could actually solve those things quite easily if you just said. Um, unfortunately, again, because of um, social media, things are, are quite easy just to go on Facebook and say, this was horrible, this was bad. Yeah. Um, when actually, if you just said to us, I'm not happy with that, we can try and deal with it. We can't promise we can always resolve it. Um, you know, some people are not happy with the amount of care they get and at the moment with covid care has been restricted <laughs> to I, w- I did want to ask about that um yeah. how different it's been since covid so um my other half's due to give birth in about five weeks now i can say the due <laughs> date of yeah. my heart i don't know exactly how weeks it is it's 20th right oh. uh, of march don't, is that five six something around that um as of filming i don't know when this is posted mm-hmm. <laughs> when this is posted it could be a week away um but so how different is the process now of COVID regulations? In it, it's changed dramatically. I mean, we're slowly getting back to some sort of normality. Um, I remember, so I've worked the whole way through the pandemic. Of course. Um, and in that time, I remember we went to, to work the first time. I've, and I've worked over two trusts during this pandemic as well. Um, and, you know, one day we came in, we didn't wear masks to our appointments. The next day we were suddenly wearing masks. We were wearing aprons we were wearing gloves to do things that were so not it was it started to put a barrier up in something that should actually yeah. be quite a natural experience because i think that could be something that's quite hard is um i think i i'm assuming you can tell me if i'm wrong a quite a big part of your job is building that relationship exactly. uh, and sometimes you might have to do that over a course of a couple of minutes if i understand right sometimes if a midwife isn't available you might have to step in someone's place especially yeah. at the time they might need a midwife the most so i feel like almost not as a anti-mask statement but i feel like having a mask sometimes can 
make building that relationship yeah. a bit harder because you are covering your face. And that's it. You know, you have to you have to try and show emotions via your eyes. And yeah. sometimes that's really difficult. Um, when you know, a lot of our things is about being empathetic to women, and it's really difficult not showing your face when you're trying to be empathetic or show yeah. sympathy to women or you know um and these women were used to having lots of appointments they were used to being seen at booking and seen at 16 weeks and 25 and 28 and every three weeks and all of a sudden it was like well we can't see you as much as that yeah. so those you know the booking appointment which so my background is i've been a community midwife for a very long time um and that initial appointment which takes about an hour is about, you know, in that hour you're supposed to get to know each other, you're supposed to get all of that history, you're supposed to be able to make the woman feel comfortable. Um, and we're now don't doing it over the telephone. Now, yeah. <laughs> it's just a completely different thing. You know, um, when you're in the room with someone, um, I've got a very good radar if there's anything I should be concerned about. And you can't get that over the phone. You can't no. look at people's body uh, movements. You can't look at their facial expressions. Um and so it was very, very difficult to sort of get that booking down to a, a fine art over the phone, shall we say. Of course. Uh, yeah, because I, I think as my partner, she's kind of expressed those same concerns where she's not been able to meet her midwife as much. I think we did the 20-week scan on 24 weeks instead, yeah. uh, stuff like that. I felt it has got a little bit better because she has had a couple appointments recently, yeah. which is good. I think she has one more this week think that makes me sound bad oh no <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that bit right. my husband um, doesn't know either and you know i just i just presume he should because i do but i i know that it's coming up yeah but i don't know exactly what date <laughs> no women i mean even women forget like mm. it's baby brains time so you know we end up with women we are waiting for an appointment and we go are you coming they go oh no i forgot it's yeah. really natural oh i found paracetamol in the fridge because of her yeah. baby brain <laughs> I find it fun. It, it's very similar to um. So after I have my like migraines, I get quite severe migraines. Yep. I have what's called brain fog, and That's it literally it, yep. like so I don't remember who said it first or where I read it, but someone described it as brain fog, and I'm like, "That's exactly it." And I would just do weird things like that as yeah. well. Uh, I think that's about as close as I can get to experiencing oh, it. Oh, it's okay. The other day I put my son in the car. We were going to school. He had his coat on, everything on. I got him. I'm like, come on, baby. We've got to go, go, go. Get in the car. And he's like, mummy, you forgot to put my shoes on. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, of all the things. So, yeah, the poor sod would now not have any shoes on. He had his socks on. So, thank God he told me before we, <laughs> before we went to the school. Oh, you mentioned something about um, you go into a, a room and generally you start looking for things to spot yeah so what exactly are you looking for in that situation um so you know it's it would be a really good place if everything was everyone was normal everyone mm. um were, had no social complications unfortunately um you know some people need extra support um on the social side mm. and therefore it's about making sure that when these babies are born that they go home to a safe and, and loving environment um and yeah so it's about you know most people if you ask them outright they may not tell you the truth no. um but there's little telltale signs that I've done this job a long time and now that I can pick up on when they get a bit twitchy and, and I always have to have evidence to back that up, obviously, but it's about making sure that if I've got some sort of incli inclination that something's not quite right, mm. that I ask them about it 
rather than just presume everything is okay at home because you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Because I always, um, I had a podcast with a police officer okay. the other day and um, I actually described midwifery <laughs> at that point and I said, for me, I always imagined it's one of the most rewarding jobs but also one of the most devastating jobs at the same time. I can imagine it being a complete duality of emotions. Yeah, it is. You know, I'd love to say that it was all happy times and that there was, but actually it's really stressful. You know, you yeah. um, you go on these journey with these women, um, especially as community midwives. We get to know these women for a good eight months and that's why I love being a community midwife is because I like to get to know my women. I like to see, meet the mamas and the dads and get and see them become parents because that's the most beautiful thing. Um. And it's really hard. So you go through their journey with them when they have complications, when things don't quite end how we want them to. Mm. You go through that pain as well because actually, although you'll never feel what they're feeling, you're you're part of their journey, and you know you will you never want a poor outcome. So when um, things don't quite go to plan, then obviously it 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 breaks your heart too because no one ever goes out to cause harm, um, and all you want is for that mum and baby to be safe and at home and, and for them to be able to enjoy their baby. Yeah. Um, you also, you know, when you come across cases which, um, you know, some families, unfortunately, you know, they when it comes to certain situations, having a baby into that, adding a baby into that situation is probably not the most ideal thing. Yeah. Um, and... Trying to explain to couples um, why, you know, we have concerns is not easy. Um, yeah. I must say, COVID, that's one of the things that I do like about COVID, is that we used to have to go to case conferences. Um, and you'd have to sit around a table with the parents sitting opposite you. And you'd have to, like, you'd, there'd be a mixture of professionals. So, so what's a, a, a case was it you, you said at the time you said case yeah. something case conference case conference so um, what exactly so, is so a social care conference okay. so um so we have to think of things like you know there'll be there might be police but there there may be um there's health visitors there there's midwives there and all of us are putting forward a case as to why this family should keep their child or shouldn't keep their child or whether we feel that there needs to be extra input and sometimes parents are really willing to work with yeah. Um, professionals and other times they can't see why we're concerned and sometimes they can get quite angry with, with us and it, you know it was really intimidating sitting across from a table and telling a family I don't think you should take your baby home because you know as a midwife you don't want to ever say that to a family but sometimes yeah. you have to think about the well-being of that child and sometimes the well-being of that child is that if you go home with these parents we can't guarantee that nothing's going to go wrong um i've never actually heard of that that's that i can't understand how in it, as you said intimidating that truly yeah. must be i mean covid we now do everything for, via video conference so mm. it's a little bit easier um because that's you're not, it like removes the layers that's it, it you're yeah. not you're not sitting face to face with them um and yeah i mean you know social services have a bad name we work with them a lot so when the minute yeah. people hear social services they think they're going to come and take these children away yeah. and uh, especially now doing the role I do, I work with social quite a lot, um, and that's not always the case. Social services are there to make sure that we can put things in place to make it easier and so that we know that we can support you. And that may be things such as, can we help with 
any rent arrears you've got so that we can make sure you keep a roof over this child's head? Can we help you with vouchers so that you can keep um, have fed food or milk for this baby? You know, is there any equipment that you need, that, such as pushchairs or things like that, that you require that we can help get, get you? Yeah. You know, do we, you need an early help worker so that, you know, it's you might want a parenting class you know those little things that we can put in place mm. so that we can ensure that this baby's actually going home to a safe environment and so it doesn't as soon as you hear social services people as i say put their back get their backs up because they're thinking okay they're, they're coming and they're going to take my child away and most of the time i'd say probably 80 percent of the time that's not the situation at all that is yeah. that's extreme cases um you know you mentioned about uh each group putting different cases across yeah. like police officers might say one case you might say another um, who who makes the final decision then? So normally there's a chair of um, at the social meetings, and it, it's a really difficult and lengthy process. Each they take about you know it's not just a one off thing. There's social workers making a case to and for um, the parents, and they're working with the parents. We're obviously each of us puts out forward our involvement with them. So you know from a midwifery point of view, it's are they engaging with us? Are they attending their appointments? Because if they're attending all their appointments and they're engaging and they're and they're well kept and you know, then actually, are we that concerned? Probably not. Mm. If you know, there's certain things. If they're coming with bruises all over their bodies, you know, we yeah. we are in a position where we get to see not just arms and legs. We get to see their bumps and things like that. So, you know, we can see those bruises that try and get hidden, and you know, or if they're not coming to their appointments, are they avoiding us? And most of the time they may not be. It may just be that they've forgotten, as we said earlier. Yeah. Um, but it's about making sure that, you know, we get that full picture and and, and can make a, a a judgment based on the evidence that's there. Has there ever been a situation where, because I think you mentioned earlier about almost like a sense of gut instinct yeah. uh, or a natural sense, where the facts that have been presented with you has been different from your gut? Yeah, and on a few occasions, and my guts tends to be correct. Um, I can't really go into much more detail. Oh, about of course, it, you can't go into much detail. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I was trying to think, like, if you go into one of these cases and your guts saying one thing, but the evidence is showing another, what are you most likely to go with? Oh, you'd have to go with the evidence, and that's yeah. and unfortunately, that sometimes is where, um, the, you know, it's it's really difficult because. You know, sometimes we don't agree as healthcare professionals. Sometimes yeah. we um, we are more concerned about things than than social services are. Or sometimes it's the other way around, and we're like, well, I don't really know what this fuss is about. Um, and they're like, no, we're really concerned about this. And you know, it's about listening to everyone, and that's why it is such a multidisciplinary meeting. You know, because we need to hear the input. Have they been known to the police? Have they got that involvement previously? Have they been known to social services previously? You know. Have they got other children and, and are they um, working with the health visitors? Because there are all these things that we can put such a, like, as a piece of the puzzle. You just want to put them yeah. all together and get a really clear picture so that we can make that decision. And sometimes, I'd love to say decisions were correct all the time, but unfortunately things yeah. like baby pee and stuff like that tells us that not always we're correct. But, you know, it's it's about making sure that at that moment in time we make the best judgment based on the evidence that we've got the safety net doesn't always catch everyone but lisa catches some that's it yeah um wow that's yeah i had no idea about that whole process before uh hopefully i never will no. have to be involved in it i'm guessing there's more than one stage of it as well so i i assume oh, yeah. that if 
it turns out, all right, we're going to give you the help. We're going to buy the buggy. We're going to do this. Yeah. We'll give you food stamps or whatever help could be provided. There's probably a case of where they come back in six months or something like that. I'm just... I mean, to be honest, we we deal with a very small proportion of them and what okay. goes on afterwards. I mean, we're the people that we we get plans put sent to us. You know, it might be that they need extra visits postnatally. So, mm. you know, it's it's those sort of things that we, we basically do is follow the plans once we've gone to conference and we found out what's what's occurring we th- we then put that plan into place yeah. um and it's about making sure uh, say we only look after women for a maximum of 28 days postnatally um that's a really short window in terms of this baby's life so it's about making sure that when we let them go and that actually they've got things in place and they're not just going to fall flat on their face yeah so yeah it's 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 a difficult thing especially when you there's some cases where women you just want to sort of like wrap up in bubble wrap and and do anything for because you can just see that they're so desperate and so willing to try and make their lives better and it's and things are being thrown against them that they can't help sort of thing. I, would, I would love to hear about a case like obviously you can't go in detail but i'd love to know that there's a case out there where it's just someone just needs the extra help they're not a bad person they just need the extra help they're willing to look for the extra help they're willing to have it and then six months later, they come in again and they've 180'd it. Yeah. Maybe they're not perfect yet, but they've made significant improvement. And, and I we think see that, that a lot. Great. We see that a lot. You know, there's cases, especially so um, I now work with young parents, everyone under the age of 21. And they're a category of people that get a lot of stigma thrown against them. They, Especially our younger mums out of that age range. Um, and people think, oh, that's it. You've ruined your life or... You know, you're only having kids so that you can get benefits and all of that. Because you work especially with, uh, was it under 21s? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's about making sure that, you know, I, I love it when our girls succeed. When our girls basically <laughs> put their middle finger up to the world and say, do you know what? Look, I may be a mum and I'm a blooming good mum at that. And also I'm still not failing at life. And that's what I really love is seeing these girls and giving them support and making sure things are put in place for them. So that's why I work with social a lot with them. Because I like to make sure that when I let them go, that I know that they're going to succeed in life. And and it, and it yes, we have mums that come back again. Um, yeah. I, was, I was actually about to answer that because I, I yeah. was curious, like, you've been doing it for eight years. If you've met some of them whose children are now six, you're like, yeah, I so, helped give birth to that. Yeah, child. not so much this trust because I've only been here for since September 2020. Mm. Um, but my previous trust, I was in my area for three and a half years. And I looked after the same mum... Well, so I looked after her for the first one postnatally. So I'd come out and she just had the baby. Mm. And then I looked after the fir- the second two um, as her midwife for both of them. And, you know, and sometimes you're like, I, I, what was so nice is that was my area when I was training as well. So I sort of took over from when my mentor retired. I sort of stepped into the, that position. So I knew the area really well. And I'd be walking down the high street and they'd be like, Bex, look, over here. This is, can you believe it? He's four now. And I'm like... No, that makes me feel really old. That I, I was about to say, like, oh, oh my God, that yeah. means that happened four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's really good when you see those, like, and, you know, my mentors, seen they, they've been the family midwife for years. And that's, you know, I know that's where it's going to be. Is my, my band seven, my team leader at the moment, she's been the team midwife for a very long time at our trust. Um, and it's, we started our team, so there's now eight of us. Yes. Um, and we started our team back in April last year um and now the idea of our team is that we are a continuity of care team which is what the nhs is trying to bring in to all hospitals which is that 
they the woman gets a midwife and that midwife is known to them throughout their antenatal time that they ideally have that midwife there for delivery um but if not that midwife the team that their midwife is in and then look after them postnatally as well so they provide all that care so they're not going into the most vulnerable time of their life in labor and meeting someone for the first time that's the idea of it there's lots of outcomes that are supposed to show that actually it's a better way of working for um the mums they're supposed to get more um better service and things like that and we're supposed to be able to reduce stillbirth and reduce premature labor because we're able because we know that woman we're able to pick up when things are not quite right yeah so in our trust we're doing that with the under 21s and it really is working with our girls um you know we're able to get to know them a lot better and and especially as i say that stigma when you go into labor it's a scary place for any any mum yet alone a young mum would you have to deal with underage pregnancies as well is that a different group no no that's us as well so we we deal with as young as they've come in really um they're a very small minority of our 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 group but actually they're there are some um and it's again no one judges on age no one our team you're not going to get that judgment from us because actually we know things happen Mm. things do happen as much as you can try and tell people about the birds and the bees things happen and you know it's about not worrying that that has happened but dealing with it and making sure that the mum has made the appropriate choice so Mm. making sure she's got all of that information in front of her so she can make that informed decision for herself if she wants to continue with the pregnancy, if she doesn't want to continue with it, help her point her in the right direction so that she doesn't have to continue with the pregnancy. If she does want to continue with it, supporting her and putting things in place yeah. so that she's not going to, as I say, fall flat on her face when we let her go um, or fall into that cycle of, you know, she's six months down the line, she can't cope because we've not put anything in place for her. So it's about making sure that we give them all the tools that they ne- need so that when we discharge them into the big wide world <laughs> that they should succeed and you know it's yeah it's it's difficult when you've got these younger girls because you do look at them and you think you know are you going to be able to cope are you going to be able to deal with people talking yeah. about you behind your back because you're a young mum you know because there are and, and people are horrible let's face it we are horrible as a as a generation like we are very quick to to post things on social media about each other and and make judgments without even getting to know people. So it's, you know, a lot of these girls have to be really resilient <laughs> and they have yeah. to know that a lot of them know that, you know, they're going to get spoken about or judged. But it's about making sure that, that they can go, yeah, I am young, but actually, look, I've had a baby. I'm going to have six weeks off school. The school are really supportive. And a lot of the schools are. They've got things in place. This is, they're not going to be the first person to have a baby. And they're certainly not going to be the last person to have a baby whilst at school. And it's about making sure that the school are there and being supportive and helping in any way they can, whether that be excuse me, delaying exams or or giving them extensions, you know. But, you know, I've seen girls that are, have a baby at school. They have a few weeks off and then they go back and they go and pass their A-levels. And that's Brilliant. amazing. And, and that's what you're doing there. Yeah, show yeah. the world. <laughs> and that's it. And, you know, and a lot of, so there's a lot of our midwives that, are quite happily and open to talk about the fact that they were young mums. You know, they've had kids at 16 and they've come back, they had their child, they supported themselves, they went back and did an access course and they went and become a midwife and they're now saying, look at me, I can do this. And that's great and that's what you want for all of our girls really, to, f- to see them bloom. And, yeah. and, and You're not there to judge, you're there to support them. That's it, yeah. Um, 
Because obviously a lot of your job is supporting, but I, I'm interested in the idea of, um, well, not idea, but I'm hoping there's a level of support for you as well. Yeah, um, I mean... I can imagine, I think... Um, I think it was this weird quote in something from Scrubs. <laughs> it's never a good source to quote from, but I can I can imagine um, the first time something bad happened, um, say a pregnancy didn't go the way we wanted it to, especially mm-hmm. at the last moment. I can't imagine that being any less than traumatic. Oh. And unfortunately, at that point, I'm guessing you're not the final line, but you're going to be the first line of support for mm-hmm. those parents at that point. You're also the first point of blame. Yeah, and um, I, I, and I think. Even if, speak, speaking as myself, I, I can't speak from you yeah. or anyone else, I can imagine even if I know that I'm not to blame, mm-hmm. it would be very easy to start blaming myself. Like, oh, why couldn't I have noticed that? Why couldn't I have been smarter? Why couldn't I have seen? And I can imagine that would be extremely hard. It, it is. And, you know, I am a very... Um, empathetic person I take on everyone's worries and I try and make them better and when things don't go right and they blame me I take it very personally because that's the sort of person I am and I am OCD in that I write down everything and that I like to have I have a certain way of doing things and if it doesn't quite go to plan I then think how have I failed and actually most of the time it's not me that's failed it's the system or yeah um and it it is. It's you know. I've had a case, you know, where I, um, there was a poor outcome, mm. um, and it wasn't my fault at all. But the process is, is if there is a poor outcome, it needs to be investigated, and so it should be because the parents need answers. The parents need to know yeah. why did it go wrong. Is it going to happen again? And, you know, is is it something that they did? Is it something that the hospital did? Could it have been prevented? And so there's a rigorous. <sighs> Um, process in place you know the first line is that it gets reported to our risk team and our (coughs) risk team pull all the records and they look through them and they go through that process and they're like okay is there something in our systems or in a a particular person did that was wrong that meant that this outcome happened and when that doesn't quite go to you know when they 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 then do that and then we get reports you know this could have been missed or this is done or, or actually everything was done correctly and this is unfortunate um but the other thing that's in place is then called HSIB, which is an external body. So the minute there is a baby that dies in labour or there's a baby that um, has serious birth trauma because of things like brain injury and things like that, it gets reported. The hospital, by law, have to report it to an external body called the HSIB. And they are a bunch of people, not necessarily midwives, they come from lots of different professions, and the idea is that they ask the questions that, you know, that a parent would ask, you know, why did this happen? Explain this process to me. And then they go through everything and they write a report and they're not blaming people, they're blaming the systems. So, you know, sometimes it may be actually that everything was in place, as I say, and this was just a really unfortunate thing that's happened and there's no reason for it. Um, there might be, you know, they might say, actually, we, th- we think that you need a better... Um, a better process for this particular thing yeah. and, and it's about making sure that actually if there was something that went wrong that we can change it improve it add training so that we it doesn't happen again or if it does happen again it's through no lack of trying so what support do you get um so we have 
So in, in the years I've, I've been qualified, that's changed. So we used yeah. to have supervisors and midwives, um, and they used to we used to meet with them um, sort of once a year, and we used to go through things, or if there was any difficult cases, we could go to them. Um, that got pulled. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, it, it changed when the government brought in something called revalidation, um, and basically we have to prove that in a three-year period we've done enough training and we've done enough hours like clinical hours and things like that well, uh, i'm more than like do you get like psychological aid or anything so th- our our pmas are now who we can talk to uh, what is it what's pm um professional midwifery advocate okay. i think what they stand for yeah um and they're supposed to be sort of the people we can turn to talk to but actually they're just midwives as well um I must admit that I have, I suffer with mental health. Um, And, um, you know, when I had a particularly tough time, it was end of last year, um, the trust was fantastic in that they've got occupational health where my manager was really good and she was the one who picked it up and said, Becca, you're not yourself. You know, this is, this is not you. You need, you know, it's, it's okay to say that you're struggling um, and she pointed me and referred me to occupational health, and there is a psychological team there, um, and they put me on courses and counselling and things like that. So that it is there, but it's not as widely known about. And people, you know, people, especially in healthcare, always feel like they should be strong. They should be the ones that are looking after other people. They, yeah. You know, they they shouldn't be the patient. And sometimes you need to say, actually, I yeah, I I need help. Um, and it's not afraid. It's not afraid. You yeah, know, it, yeah. it shouldn't be a bad thing. Even concrete has a, a steel rod in it yeah. for support, right? So it that to me kind of surprised me because I always assumed, especially after the first case, because that might be your first time dealing with death in general well enough. Yeah. Um, a child, which I I would only imagine is nothing less than traumatic the first time. Um, I always assumed by default you would have been offered some kind of uh, mental support you get initially. a little bit of a debrief so when there's a poor outcome you mm. get together and you say how are you all and, and but there's nothing like it's not automatic you have to yeah. ask for it um with regards to if you're if you're still struggling after that initial debrief um and again i think it's just a societal thing you know we just think well do you know actually these things happen and that that's you know it's it, you know just get on and deal with it this you know this job isn't just all happy times it's there's there are difficult times and people expect you just to be like that's okay but yeah we're, we're human and we need to realize that actually yeah. sometimes it is hard wow <laughs> i've actually taken back by that because i know like police officers get that as far as i know um because i'm guessing in a way then your main source of closure to a lot of this would be after the, like the investigation concludes yeah. like being told oh it's not your responsibility in this yeah. case is probably the closest form of closure you get. Yeah, and I'm uh, touchwood in my time. Hmm. I've not been. I've only been involved in one investigation okay. um, for a poor outcome. So actually, I've been. I would consider myself one of the lucky ones where I've yeah. not had to deal with a lot. Um, but that time really messed with my mental health. You know, as I say, because I'm such a perfectionist, the thought that I'd done something wrong, which could have caused a poor outcome. And it wasn't. There was nothing that I'd done, and it um, it was one of those cases where there w- it was just a really unfortunate outcome for this yeah. couple. And I'm guessing during that investigation, it doesn't matter how certain you are, how um, as you put it, OCD and 
keep yeah. the notes. It doesn't matter because suddenly all doubt is yeah. there. I'll have, um, I think like my boss <laughs> will put me in a meeting and I've got friends that um, like work in Starbucks and they'll have a meeting booked mm. and suddenly their mind goes, what have I done wrong? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's gone wrong? Um, and then nothing's wrong. But if you have a level of anxiety, you can shoot through the roof, I'm yeah. sure. And, and that's the thing. The minute you see a, a, an email from risk or the phone goes and it's the risk midwife, you're like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? But yeah. actually, a lot sometimes it's just basically, we've looked at this case and actually you did really, really well because you, this was all documented correctly. And sometimes people forget that we need to hear the good stuff as well as the yeah. negative all, all the time. You know, Sometimes it's good just to be told, actually, you did a really good job. And, you know, it, you couldn't have done anything to make a different outcome in this situation. Mm. Um, because it does, it, it sort of puts a lid on that box and, and you go, and actually, okay, I, I did a good job. And, you know, th- there was never going to be a different outcome, unfortunately, to this case. And, you know, risk isn't just there for when death happens. Risk is there when things like hemorrhages or, um, or when babies unexpectedly admitted to NICU. You know, there's not... It's not always someone to blame. Sometimes yeah. things just happen, but it's about making sure was the processes in place? Was that a good outcome? Did we, you know, was that hemorrhage well controlled? You know, did did everyone work as a team? You know, because that's what we train for. Every year we have what we call prompt training and we go and we go through all of the emergencies that we could possibly face and we have mannequins and <laughs> we all take on a role and we do it because every year, you know, we want to be prepared and have the most up-to-date evidence so that we can yeah. prevent poor outcomes. Um, and that's what people don't see. People, you know, unfortunately, when there is a poor outcome, the first thing they want to do is blame someone. And that's a really natural process to, to blame. And the first person they're going to blame is the person that was in front of them or saw them last. Yeah. Um, and it's about, you know, making sure that that couple has a debrief as well. Um, and there are, are, you know, a lot of um, people out there who are traumatised by their births. And, you know... Sometimes as midwives, we become very complacent. Oh, it was just a shoulder dystocia. Oh, you know. And, you know, for us, you know, we see it all the time. So we're a little bit like, oh, yeah, that happens to everyone. Or, you know, but for that particular person, it may have been the most traumatic experience of their life. Um, And it's about making sure that if someone is traumatised, that we go to them and we say, look, this is the situation and have a proper debrief with somebody. Because I always say to my girls that have traumatic deliveries right not now when it's really fresh in your mind but in a few months time when you're settled and things are uh, are beginning to get better yeah let's let's get together with your notes let's go through what happened so that you can put this pregnancy and this birth to bed because what will happen if we don't is that when it comes around to her the next time is that that trauma will hinder the next experience it's to help them with the grieving stages right yeah. let, let them have a couple of months to go through the stages this is it. and then help them with the acceptance i've also been on the other side where um i've looked after a couple who had a poor experience in their first pregnancy with another community midwife they didn't want that community midwife again not because they blamed her but because the thought of being under her again would bring back too many poor memories yeah. um so i looked after them and it's about making sure that they're experienced they're obviously going to be more um anxious than a lot of my parents because they they've lost a baby and and so it's about making sure what can I do and put in place so that they feel like they're well supported and I say to my girls you know these are the basic appointments that you get you get this appointment if in the meantime you're feeling low or if you feel like you just need someone to talk to let me know I can call, if it, it might be that I squeeze you into my clinic it might be that I come and 
and see you at home. And and that's where my job is very good at the moment in the fact that because I have a smaller caseload, yeah. um, I have that time to go round to their house and speak to them. You know, if I need to see them weekly, I will do. That particular couple that lost a baby, I saw them weekly. Because for them, she just needed someone to tell her that everything was okay and that at this particular time it was okay. <coughs> did um, they give birth? They did. And they had a beautiful out? little baby. Amazing. Um, and for them, it was then afterwards, it was like, well, what do we do? We've got a baby now. You know, they hadn't... Because for them, they were taken every day as it came. And it was, you know, they didn't want to think about bringing that baby home because they didn't know... If they would, so they just took every day as it comes. So when it fun suddenly came to that day, and they had this baby, and they brought it home, they were like, "Becca, what do I do with this baby?" And you know, so I gave them extra support postnatally because it, they they hadn't just come to terms with the fact that they were actually going to bring a baby home. And that must have been unreal. I mean, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier when I said like it can be the most rewarding and it can devastating. I imagine seeing them weekly, building that yeah. bond, and then seeing them. That's it. Win. And and I just needed that baby to be born safely. Yeah. Like, for, they needed it, but I needed it too. And, <laughs> and the weeks, I counted down the weeks until that baby was born. Because I, I wanted as a good outcome for this couple. They were the most beautiful, loving couple. And, and you just want what they want. And you just want to see them become a family. And, yeah, it was lovely to be able to be with them and go through that process with them. And also for them to then, once they had their little baby, grieve their previous baby, because actually that little baby did have a, a brother and a sister, or a sister, you know, they yeah. they had a sibling, and it's not forgetting them. It's about making sure that, you know, this is a different child, and, you know, you're never going to forget the one that you lost, but actually this is the beginning of a new journey for you. So, yeah, it's, that, it's those moments that are really rewarding and why I do my job. Yeah. Did you ever manage to see them again after... Um, I haven't seen them because then no. So, but um, they. I. I so, if you guys are listening now, <laughs> <laughs> I often wonder. Like, there, there's a few cases that I've dealt with over my time that I wonder where they are now and how they are because there's certain people that really, really do touch your heart and like that yeah. you. I don't have favourites. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I do. Oh, there'll be ones that leave an impact. Yeah, there are. Yeah. There's people that leave that impact. You know, how long I, ago was that? Two weeks been, ago. No, no. Um, must be close to four, three, four years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Just imagine that child. That's it. They're probably starting school. I mean, I, I looked after another case where this girlie calls me all the time and, you know, you and she'd pop in. I worked in a children's centre and she'd come and see me and she'd say, oh, hi, Beggs, how are you? And they do become a little bit like your mate. They think of you as their mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'd be like, are you okay? And she'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Supported her the whole way through her pregnancy. She had the most beautiful little bubba, oh. um, and I, and then unfortunately, um, that baby passed away of cot death about seventeen days after. Um, and I actually went to the funeral, which was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and it was really hard because you saw this mum who had wanted this baby so much, um, lose lose their child um, through no fault of their own um, and she blamed herself and obviously it all came about because she you know she said should I have I was feeding him at three o'clock you know and I woke up at six and he was gone and I was like and she said I, and I worked on him Becca I worked and I said I know you did yeah. I said there's nothing unfortunately with cot death it's one of those things you can try and prevent it but you can't always stop it um, and yes yeah, she, she didn't blame anyone she you know 
I remember um, for my job, we were terrified yeah. of that because it, I, it's, it can happen anytime in the first year. It mainly, can, yeah. Uh, I had one of those like alarm systems under the bed, and I remember it went off just because, you know? so, just because, yeah, it moved or something yeah. like that. And I just woke up to this horrible heart stopping. Baby's absolutely fine, but we were terrified of the idea. And and so that's sad. it, you know. I always say, listen to your midwives. Your midwives are not trying to teach you to suck eggs when they're talking about putting baby in the Moses basket on their back with their feet against the bottom of the cot. Yeah. We're not trying to teach you to suck eggs when we're saying your baby's too hot. We're trying to do it to prevent that outcome. Um, <coughs> and yeah, sometimes you know, through every will in the world, things still go wrong. Um, a very small amount of times, but it does happen. Um, but the the thing was that I then she then had went on to have another baby, and I thought she's not going to want me because I'm going to bring back two two bad memories for her. Not because yeah. I did anything wrong, but because I thought you know this is she she's going to now put me. Th- there was two of us, me and my colleague. Yeah, you're, you're inadvertently associated, yeah. even it, if it's not your. Yeah, I mean, as I say, yeah. she invited us to the funeral. We both went. We both attended because actually. She wanted us to be there because we were part. She was like, "You're you're one of the very few people that actually got to meet him," yeah. so she she wanted us to be there. And and we, you know, the hospital allowed us to go to that funeral, which I'll be forever grateful for. Mm. Um, and she then came back, and I was thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do if I meet her. And she said, "No, I only want Becca, and I only want Michelle. Um, I don't want to have to explain to everyone what happened again. They know me. They know what happened." Yeah. And I trust them, and I want them again. And the sad thing was, is that that was the same year that I had my little boy. Um, so I never got to see and meet her little boy that she had at that particular time. I left when I was about 34 weeks pregnant, and I think she was about 36 weeks at that point. Yeah. Um, so I often wonder about her, <laughs> and I wonder, how's he doing? Um, and I know um, the midwives that still work in the area say that everything's okay. Good. And but you know when you just I always wonder like how she got on and because it, it is it, she must have been petrified postnatally um, that things were going to happen the same way. But it's yeah. you know we can like, put things in place e- for that. Even though I, I've had two kids now and they've been fine, I've got a third on the way as I mentioned, and I'm terrified of cot death yeah. still. So I can't imagine somebody who's gone through the experience there. I mean, there's there's things around. So there's there's schemes such as something called a Coney scheme. I can't remember quite what it stands for, but we can provide if if people have gone through loss, we can provide things like those blanket, uh, those mattresses that alarm and things like yeah. that um, to to help them. And but um, yeah, you know, as I say, <laughs> I'd love to say that our job was all all happy all the time, but this is the reality of it. You know, there's a lot of stress that's out there things can go wrong you know even though we live in one of the most um economically (laughs) um you know rich countries things still go wrong no matter how much we try to prevent it things can go wrong i'm loving the conversation because i'm learning no 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 no, don't be sorry (laughs) i'm be i'm thankful um i'm loving the conversation honestly i'm learning so much and i'm having such a fun time empathizing with the story and I, i don't even want to get close to stopping the podcast i feel like i can talk about this for another five hours just because i'm learning more like i never knew about the cases um understanding your side of the work more um i do have one last question i'd love to ask you though because i find 
whatever career I'm in, there's often one thing that a lot of people misunderstand or one thing that a lot of people just don't know for whatever reason. Um, As weird as it sounds, I was even among three women at one point. This is going to sound wild, and I don't think anyone's going to believe this that's listening to the podcast. Uh, One of them, they they were ranging between 22 and 30, and all three of them didn't know what the menopause was. And I was stuck in this. You can't imagine how awkward it was for me as a 25-year-old guy to explain what menopause was. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anything um, when you're a midwife where you just found most people didn't know. Um, or just something you found yourself having to tell a lot of people or advising a lot of people. Um, oh, So one thing I would say mm. is that... People don't realise that there are midwives on the end of a phone 24-7. And that is not your community midwife. That is a hospital triage or maternity assessment centre. The, the Your midwife will always point it out. It's, the number is usually the biggest number on the front of your notes. Um, is that the red book? That <laughs> that's you get? whatever yeah. book you get. Like, they're different colours depending on where, where you're booked at. But this it's normally the biggest number across it. Maternity triage, maternity assessment. If you are concerned about something, give them a call. Don't call or text your community midwife if you've got their number because they work five days a week. So there's going to be times when their phone is switched off and there is nothing, and I can tell you this as a community midwife, there's nothing worse than switching your phone on after sort of three days off to find a message saying, I've not felt my baby move for 24 hours. Because you then panic, did they contact somebody? Did they go and seek help? Mm. So my biggest bit of advice is if you are pregnant, please, 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 Contact maternity triage if you have any concerns, and that's things so ranging as concerns with fetal movements, concerns if you think your waters are broken or you think you're bleeding, if you've got abdominal pain, if you've got severe headaches, visual disturbances, you know, any concerns you've got. I'd rather you call them and say, these are my concerns, and if they can, they'll give you advice over the phone. If they feel that you need to be further investigated, they'll invite you in to get further investigation done. But it's better to get someone who can go through your history and know what, what they're talking about to answer your questions than sit at home worrying, not doing anything about it and thinking, oh, do you know what? I've got my midwife appointment on Wednesday. I'll just wait until then. Because it can be the difference between a good outcome and a poor outcome. I think that's absolute golden advice. And the, the funny thing is you mentioned this just before we started the podcast. Yeah. And you said 24 hours. And in my head, I was like, 24 hours? I didn't know that, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's fantastic advice because when we were concerned, we phoned 111 instead, yeah. uh, which probably good, but probably yes. not as good as a triage. Yeah. I'm, I'm just throwing out there. I don't know. I'm just, Like I said, I'm silly. I'm not very smart with this. <laughs> this is what these podcasts are for. It's so I can learn as well. But, um, yeah, that sounds like fantastic advice. Thank you so much. No I've, I've been learning so much. I've been learning about your job, and it's been absolutely delightful. First thing I'm doing when I get home is just talking to my other half about it. <laughs> Perfect. To a midwife today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Brilliant. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. I would firstly like to thank thank you for listening. Take care. Remember to hug your children and always remember that there is someone there to give you a helping hand.